The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or the Webster Rockville Ministries, its management, or other host or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented on KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. Our guest is celebrating more than 55 years as a print and broadcast journalist, radio, television announcer, columnist, and recording artist and producer. He's a native of Chicago, has held the number one rating as afternoon soul jock and midnight jazz announcer from the Blue Note Club in East St. Louis. He's held executive positions at St. Louis radio stations, KATZ, KWK, KKSS, KIRL, WESL, KXLW, and KADI. He hosted Soul Brotherhood and Black Circle Hours, the television dance programs, and the Dialing for Dollars show on Channel 2. He was the first black radio talk show in the St. Louis area on radio station KATZ. He's founder and president of the National Black Radio Hall of Fame, former news director at KWMU-FM, currently a media professor at Webster University, columnist for the St. Louis American and a record producer, host of the Bernie Hayes radio show on WGNU and television show on KNLC, author of the book The Death of Black Radio, A History of African Americans in the Broadcast Industry, legend, legend radio Hall of Famer, Bernie Hayes. Bernie, welcome to In Tune. Well, you're very kind. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very proud to be here. We wanted Thank to, uh, we wanted to have one of your. Tell us about the tune that's playing, Bernie. A cool strut. That's uh, a tune that uh, Gene Anderson, Charles Hayes, and I did with Oliver Sane here, back uh, I think in 1972. Stax Records. It may have been 67. No, it's about 1970. Uh, Stax Records uh, picked up and distributed through not only nationally but internationally. In fact, it was featured in a commercial, beer commercial last year, last summer. That's right. I, I happened to be watching ESPN when that commercial came on, and that was yeah. the background music for that. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, when I saw that on um, YouTube, somebody said, I landed here from a beer commercial. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, the, uh, we had... In fact, that record was such a big hit here in St. Louis and across the country, actually. Uh, they had me form a little dance group called the Cool Strutters. <laughs> we used to make the appearances. Yeah, we, we were performing artists. It is an honor for us to have you on the show and to talk to you. You have such a vast wealth of, of knowledge and experience, and you have led in an industry that was difficult to break into. You were a, a pioneer in doing many of the things that you did, and you did all those things because you loved them. But but take us back to Chicago when uh, Mahalia Jackson lived upstairs from you? Yeah, yeah, Mahalia. Yeah, we <laughs> call her Mahalia. What is that? That's crazy. Well, she was just a gospel singer at the time, you know, but uh, she went on to, as you know, to uh, be the phenomenon that she became. Uh, but she was just a gospel singer, local gospel singer, and uh, then, then she was making headways at the time, and Al Benson at WGES was a very, very good friend of Mahalia's, and he helped uh, advance her career tremendously. Now you but got it was just a thrill. You yeah. got the bug 
to kind of go into announcing because you saw people going to work in Chicago and you, yeah. you sensed, hey, they need to listen to somebody and you thought that would be a pretty good gig. Those are cold, wintry mornings, man. You know, we had uh, the, the community was very diverse. We had school teachers, we had laborers, we had uh, entrepreneurs, everybody, but they still had to, very few people had cars and automobiles. <clears throat> so we had to check, take either the bus or a streetcar. And those cold, wintry mornings in Chicago, you thought it could be devastating. And so I said, I don't want to do that. And so uh, then I listened to the radio, the people on the radio having sound like they were having so much fun. They're already at work and I'm not standing out there in the cold. So I said, that's what I want to do. So I, I asked my counselors and teachers, how do I become an announcer? And they, they kind of guided me through that, that, that uh, landscape. Now, was your first job uh, in the in the the military, or was it in New Orleans, or where exactly well, was it? Actually, in, in broadcasting and in the service, yeah, AFR, and Armed Forces Radio Services. And then uh, I graduated from college. So I was going to college and going in active in service at the same time. Then the first one was commercial job was in New Orleans, uh, actually Alexandria, Louisiana, 1956. Hmm. Then I came back to Chicago. And you were, uh, I, I, I love what you did. You kind of interspersed some uh, statements of Dr. King at station breaks. And uh, I'm going to read from, from yeah. some information here. It said, I used to call Dr. King when he was marching in different cities. You were the first one to do that. I would call down to the sheriff's office wherever he was, and people in San Francisco would call in and give him support. In fact, I used to call the sheriff's office collect. One time, a sheriff called me back and said he would have me arrested for mischief. <laughs> Mischief, yeah. Mischief is mischief, yeah. Well, I actually, actually had oh, everybody in San Francisco, in the San Francisco area, called him collect, and that's what really got him. Uh, this was in Selma, I believe. Interesting. Yeah, Selma or Montgomery, one of the two, yeah. And then you came to St. Louis, and you worked for um, KETZ? KATZ. KATZ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Rabbit, actually. Yep. But Ron Ells is the one who brought me here. See, I was on my way. I was very unhappy in San Francisco at the station that I was working, K, uh, KSOL, KSOL. And I was going to go to Los Angeles. But Johnny Rabbit, who was Ron Ells, he was working in Oakland at the time. He left St. Louis, went to Oakland, California, right. which was across the bay. And he used to listen to me. Mm -hmm. I was on a half hour before him in the morning, and he used to listen to me right. and found out I was from St. Louis. And so when he came back to St. Louis... He came back as Johnny American at KATZ, mm -hmm. and they were looking for a disc jockey in St. Louis here at KATZ. And uh, so he called me and asked me if I would come. And so the, it was an easy choice. Instead of going to Los Angeles with 350,000 miles from home or come to St. Louis, which is 300 miles from home, I made that choice. And I said, well, I'll stay in St. Louis for one year, and next month that'll be... 55 years. <laughs> wow. Hey, hey, Bernie, uh, there was yeah. a story I just heard. This is Mark. Um, yeah, uh, I'm Mark. <laughs> <laughs> there was a story I heard uh, at, at one of the stations you were working at, and uh, I guess the general manager actually said that they pay uh, the white announcers more than they do the African-American uh, uh, announcers. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was KKSS. Was it? Okay. So I call the guy's name? Oh, I don't have to. Well, you could. But, I don't care. Yeah, Colin Eisenberg. He was general manager. Right. And uh, uh, and uh, Scott St. James was a white disc jockey. Oh, yeah. Was You know, I was program director and operations manager and music director. Scott St. James was just a disc jockey. And uh, he was making more than I. 
And I told Alan Eisenberger, I says, Alan, you know, Scott's making more money than me, and I'm, I'm his boss. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, Bernie, white people always make more money than black people. They're supposed to. And that's what he said to my face. <laughs> that's, oh my I mean, he actually meant that. Uh-huh. And so I filed a suit for the EOC <laughs> and then won the suit. Right. And that they changed it from KKSS to Magic 108. Ah, that was, that was during that change. Okay. Yeah, that's how that, that call letters became. I'll be darned. Well, yeah. that, yeah. And I think uh, that was a, a good pivotal point, I think. Uh, good for you for blazing that trail and Thank you. bringing that out because uh, what a tough thing. And I, and I know as we were listening to the long list of accomplishments you have, there was one I didn't hear on there, but uh, I just saw you on Channel 4. KMOV a couple of days ago yeah. with the uh, St. Louis Jazz uh, Organization. National Blues Museum. Yeah, that is pretty cool. That's yeah, I'm the I did not know you were there. part of that. You're uh, curator of that oh, or executive director? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm executive director there. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, I've been with them since the inception. I've been on the, on the board for a long time. But uh, when Dion Brown left about almost two years ago now, I was named interim director, but uh, that interim director title may be last other 10 years you know and you keep keep doing it then. <laughs> yeah. so you, you like jazz a bunch I, I, I oh yeah well i'm curator at the have wolf you, jazz institute have you that's uh, uh, uh yeah that's uh, where don wolf don and heidi wolf left there his jazz collection buddy yeah only In- well, retired from kmx yeah right ingrid ingrid barry um took me i used to run with her a little bit <laughs> and yeah, she used to take me to east st louis and to some of the jazz clubs over there yeah. and i don't think people understand how wonderful the jazz is in east st louis oh yeah it's crazy uh, blue note Ing- ingrid was you know chuck's daughter uh, but um they, there were several jazz clubs in east st louis but i was broadcasting from the blue note nightclub at 42nd missouri avenue there you go that was back yeah and uh that was the jazz mecca of the area at that time. But there were several jazz clubs. And to this day, there are still some jazz clubs. And you know, the thing about that, that, that era is 1965 through 70. The musicians, black and white, all played together. That's they, right. They, 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 they saw no color. That's right. They saw no difference. They were just musicians. They were just men, just people. And it was so, so, so cohesive, so beautiful at that time. Mm-hmm. That uh, it was, I just... I hope reverse to that. Actually, actually, it looks like there's more separation now than there was then. Yeah, yeah, it's sad to see. So, talk about the the recording artist Bernie Hayes. What what was what was the motivation for that? I know you you were behind a microphone and you yeah. had a jazz and and blues influence. What was what was the motivation there? Well, Jack Daniels in Chicago, the producer, he produced a Buddy Guy and Junior Wells and all those other big names at the time. He had a label called uh, Bright Star Records. And he wanted to do a track to Junior Wells' tune called Up In Here. And so he asked me if I would do that. And uh, there were only two artists on the label at the time other than Junior Wells and Buddy Guy. And that was me and a young man named Tyrone Davis. <laughs> and so we recorded a thing called Calling On My Buddies. And it was uh, me calling, naming the disc jockeys in each city. And it became quite a well-known record. In fact, it's still on YouTube. Calling on my buddies and, oh, uh, and uh, matter matter of fact, let, let's let's hear a part of that. Oh, okay. Thank you. Oh, Bernie Hayes is right back, sitting up here in my soul shack. But when I got on dance floor, I don't know what to do. 
So I better call some of my buddies to do it for you. Like Kid Knight, who can show sure enough do it right. And Al Scott, he got it while it was hot. Old Dottie Brooks and E. Roger Jones. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I That was one of the surprises we had for you, Bernie. Oh, really? <laughs> that is a surprise. Which, which, which will take me into the direction of the National Black Radio Hall of Fame. Okay. Which you are kind of founder and president of. You're not kind of. You are. Yes. And all of these gentlemen that you mentioned in this song, they're in the Hall of Fame, correct? Of course, yeah. And in, in different eras, in different cities and so forth. Now there, we have like 12 chapters now. You know, this is the the first, and then Atlanta is a big chapter. In fact, uh, Al Scott was one of the is the uncle of one of the ladies who is in charge of the National Black Radio Hall of Fame in Atlanta, and uh, all those different guys are from different cities. And usually, there's I think there's a chapter in almost every one that we we mentioned: Detroit, Chicago, Detroit, uh, yeah, South Carolina, Winston Salem, New Orleans, Houston. Yeah, that that was the well the uh, promise premise of that. Um, I'm trying to get the work straight here. The uh, but every one of those people on that record are in this is in the Hall of Fame. And what's great to see is when you're mentioning their name, there's a photograph that that comes yeah. <laughs> up, and and you have tons of artifacts. Matter of fact, you're at at the. Uh, at the Hall of Fame right now, correct? Yes, yeah, Aristotle State University. So if if somebody can somebody just kind of come down and go through the Hall of Fame anytime they want. I'm here personally Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from ten o'clock to two o'clock. But Simone Williams is here if I'm not here, or Doug Eason. So someone is here oh, every day Eason. except Thursday, oh, I believe. My good Doug Eason, I have not heard his name in forever. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're Doug, laying Mark on the oh floor my, here. With how what is you're talking Doug about doing? Here. <laughs> yeah, Doug's here. In fact, I'm surprised he's not here right now. He's just here every day. Wow. Yeah, but he's not here right at this moment. It's a giant in the industry right there. So, so where at Harris Stowe University is that located, Bernie? <laughs> it's located on the Market Street side in the main building, the the university building, on the hmm. ground floor level, room zero zero one and zero zero three. And is there a, a fee to uh, go no, through? Free. No, not at all. Okay. And what would somebody see if they're if they're there? What what kind of things are they going to be looking at? Well, if they walked in the National Black Radio Hall of Fame, uh, the first thing they would see is the deceased uh, jock that we're paying honor to, we're paying homage to, uh, Loot Father Times, oh. Scoop Sanders from KXLW, oh, Al yeah. Waples, Reverend Leonard Morris, oh, yeah. uh, the G, George Logan. Spider Burks. Oh. Um, oh, what a big name. Mother, Willie Mae Ford Smith, Cleophas Robinson, Gabriel, uh, all the pioneers of black wow. radio that have passed on here in the city of St. Louis. Yes. And and some of we have the obituaries of most of the uh, recording artists around the country, too, here. But uh, after you leave that wall, you'll see a, a plaque full of um, records, gold records, and Platinum Records and Luther Ingram's records, his photograph and autograph pictures of him and <clears throat> Earth, Wind, and Fire. Just any recording artist that you can name from the 60s, late 50s through to the current uh, the current era. Yeah, yeah. And Edie, so we have that. Edie Anderson, who's on your board, we we did an interview with Edie and Jeff. Jeff and I yeah. went to school together, and actually yeah, Mark, Mark yeah. would have been there too at U City. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but uh, Edie's on the board, and she's 
featured also some other pictures are in here. And Jeffrey's also participated with the winglings that we throw here at Harris State University, his, his combine group. So Jeffrey and I, uh, he's very active with the Black Ready Hall of Fame and the Wolf Jazz Institute. Now you do some interesting things with uh, with kids and and the and the uh, Hall of Fame, correct? Yeah, we, can, we do outreach. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, we just try to give instruments to different uh, organizations, trying to um, help them start band or music programs, and we give them tours. And anybody who goes to school here or wants to do a research on some of the jazz artists or some of the local artists here, we have a library that they can assess. We have all the old Blue Note magazines, old Downbeat magazines. We have uh, all the jazz magazines you can imagine. And if they see it in LP, which is about 2,000 vinyls, maybe even more than that, maybe it's about 3,000 vinyls, LPs here. If they see something that they want to record, I'll make a CD for them, you know, so they can go back and then do that research uh, and uh, make their presentation at the various schools. So that experience, folks, is to you know, it's an opportunity to learn a variety of events that shape the history of black radio, celebrate the written audio and oral history of black radio nationally, and have access, as Bernie was saying, to a rich and dynamic culture of media, performing and visual arts, recording artists, writers, and public relations. It's, you know, I honestly, I'll tell you this, I didn't even know that that was there. Oh, yeah. Don Wolf, um, not only is his um, records collection here, but after that began, other people who had, I mean, classical music collectors, uh, jazz, pop, R&B, comedy, they've all been donating to this collection here at the Harris Stowe and the Most Jazz Institute and the National Black Radio Hall of Fame. So they actually were integrated within one, one unit, but two separate rooms, but there's only a door separating the two of us. And uh, anything that they want in cassettes, you can see the cassettes we have. Wow. And eight track tapes. Eight tracks, yeah. VHS tapes, <laughs> yeah. So a lot of folks used to record on VHS tapes also. We have all that collection here. And the masters, big master tape, 200 masters uh, from Oliver Sane Studio, from all other recording artists around, around the area. But that's all his story here. And it's a repository for anything music. That's crazy. This is. In tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston, we're talking to radio legend Bernie Hayes. And Bernie, we have a surprise for you because this is Valentine's Day, and I'm sure that maybe this would have been something that you received or you would even be willing to give. (laughs) Bernie, you know it's the first day you know. Oh, yeah. Now, now, when when you and Yuvi got up this morning, did she sing that right away? <laughs> no, she didn't sing that, but she, she gave me a very nice Valentine's gift of cookies and, I mean, uh, she fixed me breakfast, and she gave me a nice box of candy, which I was going to give to her. She beat me to the punch. Funny <laughs> <laughs> is always better. Oh, yeah, we did that. Uh, actually, we did that recording in Memphis, 
and Tom uh, Tom Washington finished it up in Chicago. Huh. Yeah, so it was written in Memphis and produced in Memphis originally, and uh, the finishing touches and all the uh, the post production was done in Chicago. You make me happy, Skull. Very very big record. You guys have a a wonderful relationship, and you have been instrumental in a lot of her recordings. And I, my my question is kind of, how did you get into the record company business? Because you've you were producing and directing, and you you have your finger in a lot of pies. They're all related, but it's like, man, I don't have that many fingers to start with. And you, you wear a lot of hats. I don't have that many hats. Money. And I don't, <laughs> you do it. So how did you well, get that record company going? Well, she's always wanted to be a recording artist since she was uh, in grammar school, and she was a uh, Growing up, she was in high school and in the college. Her college is a career, all included music. And then she was with a band that toured locally in Mississippi. And uh, so when she came to St. Louis, I was introduced to her. And I began producing her. But you see, the music business itself, uh, Ted Hudson of Hudson's Embassy and, and Johnny Taylor and Chuck Cunningham and I started the first black record distributorship here in St. Louis, Missouri. That was back in 1967. Um called Westcott Distributors. And we had all of the major black labels uh, here in St. Louis. We had Kurt Tom with the impressions. We had The Earth, Wind, and Fire when they were on Columbia. Uh, Warner Brothers, I'm sorry. We had all, every major black artist we had, we were distributing except for Atlantic and, and uh, Stacks of the Time <clears throat> because they had their own distributorship. But uh, no, we, we had all the major, all the hits that were coming out in the 60s, mid, early mid-60s, we had them at the Westcott Distributorship. And so that that did kind of dance from there. Mel and Tim, they recorded, they had, they rented offices from me down there. Uh, Ron Trey Williams, uh, Mamie Hudson, her records that, that they, she produced on so a lot of local artists. And then they, they became hits. Scepter Records finally distributed them. But all that was done from my offices at... 2428 Washington. I'm, I'm sorry, Del Mar in, in St. Louis. We were the first one to open that building there. So it was a record distributorship, and we were well known around the country to handle most of the black artists that were recording at the time, especially the independents. Wow. Now, were you, did you do any recording over at, um, was it Oliver Sane's place? Is that the oh, place? Oh, man, yeah. Most of our stuff was done at Oliver Sane's. The, the cool strut. We did some the cool strut at Oliver Sains. We did a tribute to a black woman at Oliver Sains. My wife's four or five first four albums, four CDs, were done at Oliver. The vinyl was vinyl done at Oliver's. Even with this one with Stevie Wonder, we did the recording, and Stevie did his thing in Memphis. But the, really, yeah, we did. Oliver's was our mentor and our very dear friend, and we did all of the production at Oliver Sains Studios. You know, now the studio is this the studio gone or is it partially destroyed? It's or gone. It, it's gone. It, completely it was destroyed. Yeah, what happened about four or five months ago? It become a shell. Right. You know, if it stood there for about two years, all of a sudden uh, it started caving in, and they just wiped it out. Yeah, you know, less than six months ago. Yeah. Which 45, fo- 25 which, natural bridge. You, you know, we, we talk about folks about historic buildings in yeah. our area and the architectural value of them or the historical value of them and this was a studio bernie tell us a little bit about that studio the importance of of that building 
Oh, man. That was, you know, I, I did an article on it in my column in the St. Louis American and showed pictures of before and after. And people were just heartbroken. And uh, even the alderman was uh, heartbroken. He said he tried to, to, to keep it from being destroyed also. But um, anybody in St. Louis who had any recordings at all, Johnny Johnson, Barbara Carr, Fontella Bass, Little Milton Campbell, Ike Turner, all these people recorded, Marsha Evans, they all came out of Oliver Saint. Oliver had a hand in every recording probably came out of St. Louis, Missouri, especially the African-American artists. Wow. Oliver was considered the godfather, and we'd all go there, and, and he had a wonderful, wonderful, smooth sound. He'd be from four-track, then he advanced to eight-track, then he advanced to 16-track. It was just beautiful, and, uh, and he'd take time and patience with you and uh, put his horn on when necessary and any other instruments or you know, all the EQ that needed to be done was done by Oliver Sane, and uh, it was just beautiful. I mean, it was really a treasure here in St. Louis, Missouri that we lost. Are there are there other things like that within the area that we need to be focusing on? Well, the Club Riviera is gone, too. <laughs> that was the only one I would actually think of uh, that had that, uh, that visibility and that historic value. Club Riviera that was on Taylor... And Olive, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Delmar, Delmar and Olive. But that, that was uh, for all the African-American artists played during the 40s and the 50s through the, through the mid-60s. Well, think, yeah. of, think about that some more, Bernie, because we're going to come yeah. back after the break and, and, sure. and talk about that. We're listening to uh, Bernie Hayes having a conversation with him, legendary broadcaster in our area. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston of Intune. You're listening to KWRH 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Oh, Bernie Hayes is right back. Sitting up here in my soul shack. But when I got on dance floor, I don't know what to do. So I better call some of my buddies to do it for you. Like at night. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker with Mark Langston. We're hurt talking me. Hurt to me. hurt me. <laughs> We're talking to Bernie Hayes. Bernie, did you think of any other places that we need to keep eyes on that are have a historical value oh. for Same our community? Repertory company. Yes. St. Louis Black Rep, the Griot Museum of African American History. Yep. used to be the Colleague Wax Museum. But we lost Portfolio Gallery. Uh, and uh, Robert, uh, he, he's still doing things, but he's now associated with the uh, City Art Museum. And also the Vachon Museum. It has so much historic history there. Uh, the Vachon High School was named for the Vachons. And um, it's, it's, run, it's also on St. Louis Avenue. And the thing about it, the Black Rep, which is at 25th Street at one time, that, that the, the Bashan Museum and also the Griot Museum, they're all in, the, in two blocks of each other on down St. Louis Avenue. Hmm. But, uh, and they all should be supported and then kept as this historic, I mean, valuable historic figures and buildings and Oh yeah. The, uh, I, I just can't describe what I'm. I'm trying to find a word to say what they are because they're there. Well, they're tradition. They're 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 treasures. They're history that has occurred there. And do you find that that has happened in other cities where, uh, where things have kind of gone down in a certain area? Do you find that happening in, in Atlanta or Chicago or Detroit? Uh, gentrification has wiped out most of our institutions. 
me because people, they're not supported like uh, they, they do with other institutions, you know, other organizations. So gentrification is one thing that just wipes it all out, you know, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we can save the black rep, hopefully we can save those institutions, the Grill Museum and the Bashan Museum. So I want to I want to take you back to 1972 in May when you and some other black disc jockeys walked off the job at KWK Radio and forced yeah. a halt to the station's broadcast and right. they were protesting your demotion to advertising salesman. Talk a yeah. little bit about that. What 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 happened? Well, actually the um, we were broadcasting to the African American community as an African American station. And uh, we were giving out information that was of historical value to the people. We were just being a black station, presenting information for black people. And what happened is the group that owned the station out of uh, Detroit, Michigan, they decided to bring in some white guys from Memphis, Tennessee, to program to the black community. And they admitted they knew nothing about african-american community before they came in the first thing they wanted to do was stop all the black history that we were preserving and providing on the air that was the very first thing that was the very first issue secondly they knew nothing about the local talent the local music they was going to cut out all the local artists on from the radio and go to a top 40 format so we just said strictly no that will not happen so we walked off we shut the station down Community got involved. Community supported us all the way, so they finally reversed that decision, and we were all reinstated. Well, that was that was about yeah. It, it was that the impetus for starting uh, the first black radio talk show in St. Louis on KATZ. Later no, on? the impetus. So that was because they, people were taking people's homes by eminent domain. They were cutting off streets, closing streets, and did, that didn't have access to ambulances. They were. Uh, just doing so much stuff that people couldn't do anything about. We didn't. The community had no access to information at the time. They were taking ladies' houses. They were taking. They were closing, like I said, streets that were vital to access to hospitals and ambulances and fire trucks. They would just close them and shut them off, put barricades up. And so we decided to talk about that and what's going on in the community. Then they decided that this there were. The city was 50% to 55% black, and there was no black mayor, no black police chief, no black superintendent of schools, no black fire chief. And so we decided it's time that at least some parity, somebody gets something, right. you know, some leadership in the African-American community. And as a result of that talk show, they hired, they first elected a black mayor, then they got a black police chief, then they got a black fire chief, and they got a black superintendent of schools. All that came from that talk show. And that was the purpose of it, just to make changes, positive changes, not only for the black community, but for the community at large, for Correct. everyone. Right. Everyone right. should benefit. You know. in, in, in the course of your, your history and, and reading about it and listening to you, that advocacy seems to be too weak of a word, but you have used the airwaves to not promote yourself, but promote disparities, inequities that you have seen within the black community, and even trying to work your way as a, as a journalist, because I was reading that you, you couldn't get a job as a journalist, so radio was another venue that you yeah. moved to. So, so powerful. Is that how you have, have, have seen 
media uh, from your perspective uh, over the course of your career, or has you seen that change? More or less some changes, but uh, it's not only to entertain. We can entertain all the time, but it's to educate mm-hmm. and make people aware of what's going on around them and let them know the power that they have. That, that, that was the purpose of that. Yeah. You know, which, and they still have that power and don't know it. You know, that really agrees with the, one of the purposes behind this show is to yeah. fill in the, the historical gaps in the narrative of history that we never learned in school that were valuable to learn, and maybe we should unlearn some of the things that we were taught that really had yeah. no significance or weren't important. Yeah. Some of your textbooks, they, the textbook either omits some things or they will change some things or, or they'll put a different slant on certain things. And then media... Uh, all media is powerful. It's, it's just, uh, and people should realize that. And you know, there's no balance now. There's only one newspaper, so there's no other newspaper to balance it out. You know, so community papers people have to come or depend on the community papers and local ethnic papers to, to get the true story. What they're they're all about. And you get to teach other youngsters now. I'm going to call them youngsters, uh, yeah. uh, young adults at uh, right. Western University. Right. And uh, because you, you are a professor there, a media professor, you also get to really write uh, as a columnist for The American. And how, how do you see those particular venues as, you know, extending your reach into the future when um, they will be your age and over the course of what they will do in, 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 your, in their career? Well, try to instill in them that five years from now they'll be the leaders. They'll be the editors, they'll be the anchors, they'll be the writers, they'll be the magazine uh, contributors and the editors and so forth. They'll own radio stations and TV stations and newspapers. And they have to see what's going on and, and know what's right and what's wrong. And they have to know the power of media. And uh, that's what I try to tell them because I don't even give them final examinations out there. Their final examinations will be out in the world. And that, that, that's the way I approach it. And that's, that's, and they, they recept, accept that. They say, okay, we'll make changes, Bernie. So I tell them, go change the world, kids. And they do. Some of them have already. And the American, you write uh, uh, a column for them on a regular basis, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And been there 20, over 20 years now, yeah. And those particular columns, do you focus on one particular thing? or? Oh, no. No, no. As diverse as this na- nation is, as diverse as this community is, no, whatever is... I feel it's necessary to be for the public to know about. That's what I focus on. And you Whatever kind of, is current, not right. even necessary, and, and, and his history also. Right, right. You kind of do the same thing with the uh, television show, and is that on twenty four yeah. or thirty? It's on twenty four two. Okay. 20. It was twenty four, now it's twenty four point two. Okay. And the, who are the kind of guests that you have on on on, uh, on the the? Well, yesterday I had on Sharon Pace, who's a former state representative. I've had Dick Gregory on. I've had. Uh, oh, yeah. No, for naturally before he passed. <laughs> uh, uh, Zaki Baruti was on my lair. Jamala Rogers was also a comment for St. Louis American for the organization of Black Struggle. I had uh, um, entertainers, my wife in there. We talk about the National Black Radio Hall of Fame. I've had people on from the National Blues Museum. And a recording artist. I had a young man who just doesn't finish a book on uh, on music, teach music, uh, so it's everything, anything that's important that I think is important to the community, I just try to focus on and feature. Well, I've got to say that, you know, I'm I'm extremely impressed. I, I look forward to meeting you uh, very soon, 
And when Mark and I were talking about this and I gave you a call, you were very, very gracious to, uh, number one, answer my call and and then uh, come on the show and spend some time with us. I, I'm really appreciative, and I'm appreciative of the work that you've done to preserve the history of media, uh, especially from the black community, and preserve that in a way that generations to come will know that there are things going on. And maybe, you know, if you grew up in a white community, or you're white and you didn't intermix inter- with the black community, you had no clue what was going on. There's a lot of lot of things happening, and right, I, right. I really appreciate uh, your uh, support for that, your 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 passion and fervor for that, and all the hats that you wear and all the fingers in the pies that you have. So, well, I appreciate everything that you're doing too in the radio and and the information that you're disseminating. Everything that that station that you're on is doing that mm-hmm. is a blessing. K. W-R-H is a godsend, and I appreciate you so much. Well, we appreciate all that. of you. Folks, if you want to check out the National Black Radio Hall of Fame, it's nbrhof.com, nbrhof.com, or go on, better yet, go on down to Harris-Stowe University and check them out in the main building. That would be a, a great field trip to take sometime. Yeah. Are they open on Saturday, Bernie? No, but if, we, if anyone calls and wants a tour on Saturday, I'll open it for them. Wow. Can, can yeah. you imagine that, Mark? Bernie's <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful he, He's a, a yeah. very personable young yeah. young man. He's yes. a personable young man. Yes, he is. Because he he's young at heart, and you can tell. And, and well-dressed. Well, thank you. Best-dressed guy thank in, the, you both. in the room. I really appreciate you both. Bernie, thanks for coming on the show today. We greatly appreciate it. Bless you, Happy Bernie. Valentine's Day to you both. Oh, thank Take you. care. Thank, thank you, you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Wow, Mark. Yep. Wow. Wonderful guy. Isn't he? Just a wonderful guy. You know, how many people... Heart is in the right spot. Yeah. You're executive director of the National Blues Museum. You're the kind of the curator and founder and president of the National Black Radio Hall of Fame. You're down there. You would give a personal tour Uh on a Saturday. Saturday. That's crazy. Yeah. He's just a down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. He's seen it all, watched it all, fought it all, fought the fight so well. Some of the things that, folks, I did not read that maybe you need to be aware of is where he went to high school, the same high school, Nat King Cole went there, Staples Singers, Lou Rawls. They all grew up in that area. Uh, He got his, obviously, we did talk about this. He went to the University of Illinois and got a degree in journalism. Uh, He decided to start his own record company, Mission Park Records. He recorded his wife, Yuvi. But the disc jockeys in St. Louis wouldn't play her records. There's a, a lot of jealousy in the business, he said. Yes, and there is. she became well known in Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, the Carolinas, Atlanta, Houston, and finally she recorded Do You and In Your Eyes, and there was such a demand for her that they had to play her records in St. Louis. Yep. I thought that was interesting. Yep. And as a uh, an author, he's an author of the book, The Death of Black Radio, History of African Americans of the Broadcast Industry, kind of a companion to being the curator and president of the National Black Radio Hall of Fame. But that would be a fascinating book. I'm going to get that and read that. These are the gaps that need to be filled in in the historical narrative that we're not getting, folks. And that's one reason we talk to you about these things, kind of like we talked last week about Jack Leroy Cooper, 
who was widely acknowledged as the first African-American radio broadcaster, and he was from Memphis. I didn't get a chance. I wanted to ask Bernie because we were talking over the college, actually, and uh, talking about Cooper. And then he, I, I was talking Cooper, and he was talking about the first African-American uh, disc jockey here in St. Louis. And I can't tell you who it is, which is terrible. And I wanted to ask him that, and it just... There were so many other interesting things we were talking about. Yeah, we try to fill folks in uh, on the show, and I thought but he, also, was, he was rattling it off, Arnold, uh, just rattling off all these facts about all these people, and like you say, filling in those gaps that once he's, a person like Bernie is gone, God, hope who's that, going to fill him in? Yeah, exactly.